Don't look at me while I'm doing it though. <laughs> hey, this is Yellow Ostrich and you're listening to music A to Z. I think I got Wonderful. it. Wonderful, thank you. <laughs> Welcome to the Music A to Z podcast. I'm Steve Ferguson. And I am Douglas Ferguson. Happy Halloween, Doug. Hey, happy Halloween to you too. So you just released a couple uh, a couple Halloween specials on your YouTube channel, Moving Underscore Pictures, pictures with a K-P-I-K. Moving Underscore Pictures, you had two Halloween releases. Three, actually, if you count Kid Dracula. Oh, I guess so. Yeah, I wasn't counting Kid Dracula, but, uh, but uh, yeah, no, that's right. Your Kid Dracula review, which is, is just... It's what it's basically like a uh, it was a Japanese only release of uh, a sort of a parody of or uh, a parody, a yeah, parody of, of sort of a parody of Castlevania, mm. yeah. And the um, the Beast Wars Wednesday, a Beast Wars Monopoly special. Can I just say that that's the first few minutes, <laughs> the first few <laughs> minutes of that video <laughs> where you jammed in so many, uh, so many cliffhanger recaps. <laughs> <laughs> at the beginning i i literally watched this and i burst out laughing when you when you settle on best of both worlds part one as a finisher um i knew what you were doing as soon as i saw the green ranger unleash energy on the rest of the power rangers and i was like okay okay i see where he's someone's killed mr burns <laughs> yeah 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 one of the all-time greats i was i was like you know it's almost a shame you know you didn't do dallas who shot jr but then i was like but no that's the the joke is for who killed mr burns so you just be Retreading. Yeah, well, uh, I I wanted to go with um, basically '90s references, mm-hmm. just because I I I know nothing about Who Shot Jr. and that uh, the only the thing I know about Who Shot Jr. is that Simpsons riffed <laughs> on it with Who Shot Mr. Burns. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's that's what yeah. I know. Um, so just because that's not my generation. No, but uh, even though people try to get you down, especially because people try to get me down. Okay, fair. I crammed in as many references, uh, 90s, '90s cliffhangers that I could think of, <laughs> and yeah, best best of both worlds. I knew I had to finish with you that. Had one. To, you had to cap on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Dwarf, <laughs> fire. <laughs> yeah, uh, and then uh, and then on top of that, I just watched today as well. Ali hasn't seen Monster Squad. Yeah, and I had mentioned to you uh, as we were coming here that Joe Blow had recently done a uh, WTF happened to Monster Squad's cast, mm-hmm. uh, which was super informative. And apparently, like when the movie was originally released, it just tanked. No yeah, one watched yeah. it. And and all the cast afterwards were like, well, that was a fun thing that we did. Let's go back to school and get jobs and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was a, a huge... The the one whose uh, career really took off from that was Shane Black, the writer. Yeah, yeah. True enough. Yeah, so. uh, Predator. Yeah, Predator. Was or one, one of, of the writers, movie. I should say. Because uh, yeah, Predator came out the same year. Mm-hmm. And I guess... Uh, I'll also, no... Um, he was he had a great year because it was I think the project came out it, was that eighty seven or was, it was around then anyway it was around there I thought it was eighty seven but uh, for sure he another movie he wrote came out that year which was Lethal Weapon that's right that's right so that big and since that was a hit his career did take off <laughs> there was one story about uh, the actress who played the little girl with one of her boyfriends in college it never dawned on him until one day at the video store he was just like. Hey, I remember this movie. This movie was awesome. And he's holding up, you know, the video store, Monster Squad. And she's like, oh, yeah. And then, you know, he's he's looking at the, you know, he's reading through it. And then he's like, he kind of does this double take. Just like, you have the same name as the actress <laughs> who plays the little girl. She says, well, 
I am the actress who played the little girl. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. you know, people change, and they, 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 you, know, you, you wouldn't identify her just by looking. Uh, it was a big, yeah, just it just one big one of those movies that just had just I guess through all the rentals and stuff became a cult favorite. And and you know, well, plus you kind of alluded to it in the episode that you saw it on TV. I remember it on TV quite a bit. That's definitely how I watched it. Yeah. So it's probably really really cheap and easy to to scoop up. You know, the networks to, for Halloween content. And yeah. and yeah, and because it is it is Halloween related and and uh, has and has actually a pretty decent film. It it just gained steam and went from there. So and why not? Yeah, there is a documentary that I want to watch. It's called Wolf yeah, Wolf Man's Got Nards. Yeah, yeah, they talked about that in the video too. So, it's apparently really good. Uh, I wouldn't mind watching that sometime just to just see how how uh, it just explores that that cult phenomenon that it, it became. So yeah, yeah. So back back onto my uh, my Beast Wars Monopoly one. Uh, what, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. What did you think about my take on death? <laughs> L'amour. 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 <laughs> uh, no, to be honest, I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest. One of my unintentional favorite parts, all things considered, of the video was um, when you guys are actually playing Monopoly. How much Paul looks like he's just ready to throw it in. He's <laughs> just like <laughs> I uh, I got the impression he wasn't uh, having a great time playing the game. Uh, Maybe I, a little bored. <laughs> I was uh, I was winning. <laughs> so, oh, oh yeah, was that so it? He, 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 you can tell near the end he was getting really annoyed because <laughs> uh, you know ultimately like the rules of Monopoly aren't very fair. No, uh, not. once once one person starts winning, I guess you know it is it is the story of capitalism. But basically, once one person starts winning. And starts draining the resources out of everybody else. The odds to get stacked more and more in his favor, in that person's favor. You very much. And so, so yeah. basically, when you start winning, you're almost guaranteed to win unless something drastic happens. I think that's why there's a lot of those house rules, like the uh, the free parking lottery and stuff, because mm-hmm. it, it kind of makes the game more fair. But because it makes the game more fair, it takes the game takes longer. Yes, I want to make Lamour a Frenchman because because uh, I thought, I thought the, the the name would match up perfectly with the previous villains more more uh, more over the deep <laughs> and more debt uh, of the depths <laughs> and then and also because like uh, all this is a really old I, I want to say like um Swedish film where where they channel challenge death to a duel in in, mm. in chess and then all the riffs on it, like in Bill and Ted and in that uh, anime next episode, he, they always made him Swedish <laughs> That's as well. Right. And so I just like, well, I'll make him French. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, yeah, it was it was fun to make, but it was also really chaotic because we had no idea what we we're doing. And I think, unfortunately, the the episode to me some at some moments feels like we had no idea what we we're doing. <laughs> I thought it was all right. Yeah, no, Actually, Paul yeah. Paul really liked it, so he actually called me up and said I did a good job with editing right. it. And, and uh, I'm like, okay, all right, cool. I, I feel a little better about it. I, it's hard. It's hard to like give yourself a lot of grace when you're the one kind of trying, trying to craft it in the editing room. It's, it's so, anyway, yeah, yeah. I just, I just, I, nothing's funny anymore, and, and you just get really critical over everything. <laughs> so. That reminds me when we were doing TCN and we had Daniel on the street for the, uh, what was it, the, the post election wrap up or something, and we right. just could not get anybody to interview. I'm sorry, this is a hell of a tangent, but go look it up on YouTube. It was it was getting like it was I, I don't know about I don't know about you but I was getting super frustrated because I'm like mm-hmm. this is just we spent all the time to come out here along False Creek the weather was great you know we had all the elements in place but we couldn't get anyone on camera except for like a few like three or four mm-hmm. but then back in the editing room when all of a sudden you know you've got that footage to play around with and you're shrinking it down for time the end product is like. Hey, actually, you know what? No matter how frustrated I was at that time on that day, and I was and I was going out of my mind because we were spending so long trying to get material. Hey, you know what? It turned out all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I also felt that with with um, um, 
Last Man Alive mm. with the, with the the first cut. I was like, oh no, I, I don't know if this is going to turn out. But then, <laughs> but then of course, I had to remind myself. Okay, no, the first cut's always is always. It's not going to be what it is because because it's 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 it's, it's, it's everything so raw and like and and you just kind of you're, you're just you're just figuring it out and then yeah then I just remember seeing a second cut and going like oh my god I think we did it yeah <laughs> I think I think we actually did it I think we made this work <laughs> I'm too old for this nonsense <laughs> I'm getting too old for this let's get to some music news yeah. Okay, first of all, the most recent one, Jerry Lee Lewis just died. Yes. Uh, Very controversial figure in the... Yeah, world. marrying his 13-year-old cousin. Yeah. Um, the, 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 the older I get, the grosser it seems. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, you know, everybody knows him for you know, Great Balls of Fire, but uh, he actually did have quite a few um, yeah. rock and roll hits. Yeah. Also, in other news, apparently he was still alive. I actually was surprised as well. Yeah, I, I was just like, what? I didn't, I didn't realize, uh, and and I'm, <laughs> I'm like, oh, oh my gosh, he's still alive. That's amazing. Oh no, he's oh, dead. No, now. he's dead now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, because I just feel like so many of the the rock and roll artists from that day have passed away. Yeah, I like Little Richard and um, you know, uh, uh, like I don't know, just all of them. <laughs> it is yeah. so. Yeah, you know, it's just an it's an era that more and more is becoming a, a thing of the past. But yeah. Um, yeah. Also, uh, I don't know if you heard, uh, Rodney Graham died too. He was one of the founding founding members of You Jerk. Oh no! Yeah, so I, this, this local music. Yeah, yeah, I actually found out about this through our uncle Angus's Facebook stream because our uncle knew him, but just through the art scene because well, you know yeah. through through Emily Carr and through art shows and stuff like that. Rodney Graham and most of the members of You Jerk they were really big figures in the local art scene. Uh, the music thing was really just a side project, a very short-lived side project, all things considered. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, he's the he's the first one of the group to pass away. Oh well, yeah. Okay. Well, damn. Nuts to that. Yes. Couldn't say it better myself. <laughs> all right. So shall we get into our actual factual episode? Let's do it. All right. Well, Doug, uh, I think it's a it's about time that we cover. Even though I'd spent so much time writing stuff down and watching videos and, and stuff, I still even today was still jotting down stuff but just because of how stupidly complicated this 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 whole story is but without further ado doug who are we covering today well it's a bittersweet story i'll tell you that yeah, it, yes. we are talking about the verve Cannot overemphasize how big the verb goes. 
ish. How popular the song "Bittersweet Symphony" was. Even now, you'll you'll get the occasional radio play and stuff like that. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's still and people remember it. Yeah, yeah. yeah every, everyone remember. Like we were talking about White Town mm-hmm. and um, Your Woman, and some people re- remember that very fondly. Some mm-hmm. people don't remember it. I've ta- I've mm-hmm. talked to a few people like Your Woman, White Town, and they're like, huh? And like I'm like, come on. Come on. It was on the radio all the time. And recently, um, there is a new uh, song that samples samples from it slash the original song that's right, out yeah, on yeah. Pop Radio right now. Um, well, maybe that'll revitalize a little bit of that. Uh... And actually, there's a song out there that samples Blue by Eiffel 65. I've heard that, Radio. yeah. And it, it, it doesn't sound good. And I'm like, why? <laughs> <laughs> then, and then there was the one where someone did that, that uh, little indie electronic cover of You Only Get What You Give, which I thought... Took away a ninety percent of what was amazing about that song. I just, I just miss original ideas. You know, <laughs> yeah. okay, okay. Now, in fairness, though, no, actually, now, yeah, in fairness, based point. on the context of this episode, we're gonna go. To, if you guys are wondering why is Stephen Doug already tangenting, um, this is actually a major theme of this episode, and that is there is a line between taking an old idea and making it fresh and new and doing something interesting with it, and just taking a song and piddling around with it in the hopes you get kind of played on the radio. And I think that kind of boils down to if I, if, if I may understanding uh, what makes certain musical ideas really good and building on that, as opposed to this is a cool tune. I'm just going to sing over it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, now. And so again, for the record, Doug and I are not against samples. We're not against nope. covers. We're not against remixes on principle. It's <laughs> just, it's just like, are you, are you doing it because you're like, Oh, I really like the song. Uh, or you didn't because it's just like I've got an idea uh, to flesh this out a little more to do something new with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but before we get too ahead of ourselves, let's go back in time to Wigan in the UK in the year 1990. Wigan is between Manchester and Liverpool, Doug, with a population of 331,000 people. That's small. It is a blue-collar town in the UK. Right. We've heard this before. With a primary industries were coal and there was a mill there it was such a poor town that george orwell himself set his book the road to wigan pier there to kind of showcase uh the sad state of blue collar towns uh <laughs> however these days uh you may know wigan as the home of the world pie eating championship oh yes or the setting of wallace and gromit oh is it mm-hmm. oh mm-hmm. okay okay Great. Now, at the time, a bunch of schoolboys, Richard Ashcroft, Nick McCabe on guitar, Simon Jones on bass, and Peter Salisbury on drums, formed a band called Verve. Not the Verve. 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 And they signed on relatively quickly after a string of singles with the label Hut in 1992. Pizza the Hut. At the end of that year, December the 7th, 1992, they released the self-titled Verve EP. Mr. Duck. Mm-hmm. Did you hear the Verve EP? Absolutely, I did, Stephen. Yeah, uh, it's not on Spotify, folks. No, it's n- not on Spotify. I was for- I was fortunate enough to inherit it from Travis, our friend Travis. Um, oh. He had he had the Verve EP uh, in his mix of, of many CDs, and uh, I I just took it. I just took it, <laughs> and, I, and I took all the songs off of it and put it on my computer. Oof, dangerous. Mm. Well, I I only listened to their later stuff. You know, Urban Hymns and Beyond. And then I got the really early EP. And it was interesting hearing that side of things. Their origins, if you will. 
And I guess he's got a very nice variety of psychedelic sounds, mm. uh, both energetic and relaxing. About half an hour long, which is pretty good for an EP. Awesome. Um, although about a third of that is one the last song. A great starter pack if you, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great starter pack if you want to kind of get the gist of what the early verbs sound like. Early, the verb, were they just called verve? They were point? just called verve. Okay, but I think it was called the Verve EP. Um, oh, I have conflicting information. Okay. <laughs> so honestly, uh, it's it's pretty nice. It's pretty relaxing. It's got a nice energy. Yeah, don't skip it. So don't don't just think, oh, it's just a early EP, whatever. I'll just go into the first album. I say I'd say don't skip it. I, mm. Yeah, give it the Verve EP a spin. I would wholeheartedly agree. I actually uh, I actually really dig this EP. I think it's so good. Um, for especially given that these guys are basically starting out. And, yeah, actually, uh, when you said how the timeline there, I'm like, oh, that's not very much time at all. No, no. So that's that's actually a pretty good product for so such a tight turnaround. Yeah, absolutely. So it's it's so good. Uh, I mean, I would also encourage anybody who's kind of getting into the Verve or in general who likes uh, space rock, psychedelic rock, lawn sort of uh, ambient guitar soundscapes, one might say. Mm-hmm. Uh, anybody who digs that stuff, you'll be right at home in here. It does not feel dated. It's, it sounds really good. Really good stuff. Mm-hmm. All right, so it was the very next year, June 21st, 1993, that they followed up their EP with a not dissimilar sounding album, A Storm in Heaven, produced by John Leckie, who had done engineering and mixing work for XTC, Radiohead, and uh, and Woods work with Muse. Oh. Would, work, would work with Muse. I hadn't worked with Muse yet, but would work with Muse. Well, I think this is before, uh, isn't this before Muse was a band? I believe so. Uh, so. Origin of Symmetry was, uh, he worked, worked with them then. Radiohead with the Benz, etc., etc. I feel like Muse started in the very late 90s, so yeah. That sounds about right, yeah. yeah. The title of the, of the album is a play on the book, Storming Heaven, by Jay Stevens, about uh, LSD use in the United States in the mm-hmm. 1960s. The band did go on the record to say that this is mostly improvised. The album was mostly improvised, and they just kind of went in and and did their thing. Uh, At the time of its release, it got mixed reviews, but uh, since then, it is a very highly reviewed and regarded album. But, Doug, how did you feel about Verve's A Storm in Heaven? It's got reverb so thick, you could lose your boots in it. <laughs> uh, I love it, though, actually. I, I also I also hold it in high regard. The psychedelic vibes are carried on from the EP, not in greater quality, but in quantity. It's in that it's a... It's a well, actually, you know, for... Uh, it's like 45 minutes-ish, mm-hmm. so it's actually not that much longer, I guess. But but a lot more tracks. You know, actually, I, I didn't really look into it and see... I, I didn't know it was mostly improvised, um, but actually something about that makes sense because I feel like sometimes there isn't much in the way of melody, mm. you know? Uh, it's, it's what they've got instead is a great atmosphere that really makes up for it. The songs are long and they drone on, but it's like nice, to, again, nice to relax to. I, I find it actually quite, it's kind of good to like, lay your head back and take it in. Or, uh, you know, it also makes really good background music. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they, uh, sometimes they even got some grit, you know, it's like, it's not always relaxing. Sometimes they add some grit, such as, uh, the sun, the sea, but still has overall very chill vibes. So um, also, that one, saxophone. Saxophone. There's actually a couple moments of saxophone, but that one was, it was very prominent and near, near the end of the song. So yeah, the album is very good and it's very consistent. Mm-hmm. So like, there's no points where it really drags on and there's no point where 
but also that means there's no point where it really it seems to really excel. Like there's no there's no like clear like wow this is the best track of the bunch. It's just very solid all the way through and got um, chill vibes. Yeah. 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 Uh, this is the one I probably come back to the most. I actually legitimately really really enjoy this album quite a bit. I think it's uh, brilliant, uh, especially given how how young these guys were and. Uh, there's there's such there's such a good good I, I think he said well uh good vibe about it you know you, you can just put it on go do your dishes you can put it on or sit down with headphones and just just mill it uneasy put it on go read Th- that's the thing is that like you can have it as background noise and that's and that's fine and it works or you can sit down and you can uh you can kind of like actively listen to it as well you know sometimes when you've got like these spotify play- playlists that are like you know chill wave and stuff like that and you just mm. kind of put it on just to have something on in the background but there's you know no disrespect to any of the bands who go under that and i like s- some of those bands le- legitimately mm. but but sometimes legitimately it's just like uh you know i'm just putting it on just for the sake of having something on in the background but do i necessarily think okay and this next one i really got to sit down and i uh Really, really got to focus on on the the bass and how the bass is being used. Not so much necessarily. Whereas with with Verve and where they were in their their career at this point, they make it interesting enough that you can sit down and um, you you can write about it. You can you can sit down and you can you can kind of approach it as 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 an album. You know, and as a project and stuff. Anyways, I, I could I could go on and on about it. Clearly, they wore their their influences on their sleeve. Like, yeah, definitely hearing psychedelic rock, big time. Mm-hmm, definitely mm-hmm. hearing shoegaze, big time. I uh, I think I would love love to get a vinyl of this if they exist. I don't know. Don't yeah, know. yeah. Don't know, but I I would imagine it would just sound so Christmas, so good on vinyl. Woo-hoo. Oh yeah. Well. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. The album didn't sell particularly well. No, no. Yeah. I, it doesn't seem like the kind of album that would. But a lot of their peers took notice. And so they started getting invited to a lot of gigs. Pretty soon they went to the next Lollapalooza. Mm. Lollapalooza was a disaster for them. Richard Ashcroft, so focused on giving it his all, forgot about a little thing called water. And so Ooh. had to be hospitalized for dehydration. Damn. Salisbury, I don't know what the hell is with drummers sometimes, but uh, he was arrested for destroying a Kansas hotel room. Damn. <laughs> Are you channeling Keith Moon, buddy? <laughs> you don't need to. Uh, you don't need to. But whatever, whatever. All right. Wow. Yeah. So it, was, it wasn't wasn't the wasn't there the brightest hour no uh and then the trouble slowly kind of creeped in sort of a precursor to what would later befoul them now remember when uh ages ago you lent me verve remixed right yes. and i said and I, at the time i was a little confused i was just like okay so is this like remixes of like a bunch of the stuff from the verve and you said no 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 and what was it oh uh, yeah it's, it's from the artists on the record label verve mm-hmm. yeah and and that stuff was uh, remixed into more contemporary electronics. Yeah, so uh, you you get the the the, the if you got the CDs, there's the Verve unmixed, which is the original songs, mm-hmm. and then the Verve remix, and that was all the remixes. And those uh, those are pretty good. Like honestly, yeah. like uh, it's nice to hear the original songs. I'm glad mm-hmm. they kept. I got, I'm glad they added those. But the remixes are also pretty good, and a lot of them do hold up pretty good. So. There's what like four or five. I think I've only got three myself, which I, I found. I think there's only four. I, I Yeah, I'm pretty sure I've only got three, which I found at like a bargain bin or something like that. And I was like, score! Yeah. Always check the bargain bins, folks, because sometimes you'll just find 
random stuff there. Yeah. I went to Valley Village recently and someone had unloaded like their Brian Adams discography there recently. I'm going like, to run to you. It's like, that's a lot of fucking Brian Adams. Anyways. Uh, <laughs> um, they're like, wait a minute. I hate Brian Adams. <laughs> <laughs> Take that. But not enough to throw it out, but I'm going to thrift it. Well, that label's been around for a while, Doug. The Verve? No, Verve. Just Verve, yeah. 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 And right. well, when they saw this up-and-coming uh, rock band, believe it or not, there is a connection. Because they said, stop calling yourself Verve, please. This right. is a, We are a well-established label. You have nothing to do with what we do. Uh, and if you don't stop using our name, we're going to sue you. So Verve, the band, became The Verve. Which I guess is different enough. With l- legally distinct. Legally distinct <laughs> enough. Which is it's so strange to me because when I read that, I was just like, oh, hold on. Because like back when I got the, when I got this, uh, bore the CDs from you and I was, I was confused about, uh, you know, it's just like, it's yeah, the kind so of thing that they wanted to avoid. Yeah. Well, basically. Right. Uh, yeah. And so, but there was a connection between them. That's interesting. Anyways. But it makes sense, you know, like you're in the same industry, right? It is, it's, it's a different thing if you have a movie or something called The Verve or a book. They're in. They're working within the same space. Mm-hmm. So even though the Verve, the, the record label, they release music that's very different. It's all like you know old um, rhythm and blues and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's still like you know it's still it's still occupying uh, you know for big mu- music fans. It's all, all occupying the same same space. And yeah. So yeah, I get it. I get it. Yeah. They then did a live EP in '93 called Voyager What and then they did, I a, did not listen to it they did a compilation of b-sides and outtakes in 94 i meant to listen to it because that is on spotify but then i didn't yeah i didn't i didn't really either because um it seems like these were more just kind of like uh like the deep cuts and also i kind of felt like they were they were trying to continue their momentum they were trying to you know it was basically like getting their career uh kicking and and screaming trying to push it and it's like come on you know get the train going you know throw more more coal on the fire such as the next album released june 20th 1995 in northern soul produced by owen morris and the verve themselves owen morris understandably had worked with oasis mm-hmm. and he d- he'd uh, done some engineering a little bit of engineering for kaiser chiefs just a little though Okay, so some of the big English acts. Yeah, yeah. the uh, the band has admitted that uh, there was a lot of ecstasy used going on during the recording. Oh, is that what's going on? And a couple temper tantrums. Uh, I yeah, yeah, I think that their their uh, careers band is plagued with conflict. Yeah. So and uh, you know Ashcroft uh, quit the band, stormed out. Other people wrecked. St- there was there was some incident about someone throwing something through a window. Did anybody yeah. tra- uh, trash another hotel room? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Okay. But yes, Northern Northern Soul, a Northern Soul, all sixty four minutes of it. How did you feel about it, Doug? I found it very strange that uh, they opened with a song called "The New Decade" when it's clearly in the middle of a decade. <laughs> the album is far less effects-driven than the previous releases. Um, more reliance on vocal performance and melody, which is not a bad thing. It's just a different direction, and I appreciate that they took it in a different direction because I think that to release many albums of what happened on a storm in heaven would be foolish. Mm. I think that. You caught lightning in a bottle. You don't want to try and uh, you know, uh, you don't want to mess it up. You don't want to, you don't want everything to sound the same. 
the songs sound really big. You know, they have a, a they have a very live feel because of uh there I mean there's still you know there's still ver reverb you know there's still lots of that um but it's just it's just not as much but um but yeah there's something about the way the songs are really big they said to sound like they could kind of fill a really I like to think of kind of Phil Stadium, I think. All in all, I, I, I don't know if I like it as much as A Storm in Heaven, um, but I do enjoy it for different reasons. Yeah, I just I think the songwriting is getting better uh, from on, on that standpoint. So like they're, they're lose, they're, there's less reliance on all the fun, woobly-woobly effects that come with uh, the really psychedelic stuff. Um, although they do have a few moments of that too. Like what's that one called? Um, it's actually one of my favorite tracks, even though it's... Um, not really indicative of what the album is like, this brainstorm interlude where they just kind of go really bombastic. I feel like there probably was a lot of improvisational elements in that one too. Yeah, I'm, I'm mostly agree with you. I mean, it, although I will say it is kind of an interestingly formatted album. It already feels like more traditional rock from the time that you kick in. In fact, I dare say that the first third is a fairly typical, possibly boring rock album, but then really starts to pick up. And then through the second half, uh, becomes impressively fleshed out and moody, moody, but brilliance uh, like that. The last I want to say four tracks, I think, are just are just phenomenal. Richard Ashcroft seems to have, have mastered this kind of this uh, rock star attitude without without coming across as 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 forced or put upon, you know, almost sort of the snarky observer. You know, I, the I think that might be just who he is. Uh, naturally, yes, yes. <laughs> but he, yeah. he really conveys it. <laughs> like just through yeah. the lyrics and the way he sings, he really he really conveys. You know, and I'll be honest, he kind of he kind of has the look too. You know what I mean? The brick pop. Yeah. Brick pop. Yeah. He always in interviews with him that I've seen. You know, it's, when he's not wearing the massively huge sunglasses, reflective sunglasses, which he did a lot and still does. Uh, you know, he's got those sharp cheekbones, and he just he just looks like just can't be bothered to be. It's like, why am I even here? You know, yeah, I'm, I'm here. I'm talking about my music. Just, and, um, you should listen to it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you know, the, like, oh, yeah, good point. the creative yeah. process. Yeah. Well, I mean, and no disrespect because, I mean, he's got a hell of an ear for music. But uh, it does strike me that he is less interested in uh, chatting about the creative process and more interested in doing it. You know, I, and just some people who are like that. There's a, there's a lot of people in the music industry who just, they, they like making music, but they don't necessarily like, you know, getting on the, doing the publicity stuff. Cause you know, not everyone's just, not everyone's built for that. Some people are great at it, but not everyone. Yeah. So, you know, not everyone can be Bono who, who has to like turn everything to his story. <laughs> like, well, you know, uh, back in Ireland, uh, we had to, Deal with the NRA and it's like, it's like, <laughs> like, like, oh yeah, Jesus, Jesus Bono, okay, I didn't realize there's so much behind it. It's like, and I was just so lucky to marry Ali when I did, and you know, it's like, it's like, uh, okay, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, uh, nice. and, and, and you know, so Richard Ashcroft goes in the, in the opposite direction of going like, yeah, okay, <laughs> and, and that's it. I don't know. I, I, that's just me, you know, really, really broadly generalizing somebody. Who no, I don't. no, I think I think you're right. I mean, there's like uh, Courtney Taylor. Taylor comes to mind too. Oh, he yeah, just, yeah. He's just he just doesn't seem interested in uh, in the interviews and the promotions and stuff. And you know, he just kind of like, you know, he's going through the motions and stuff. Uh, you know, and whereas like there's there are some artists uh, who are super engaged with the process and are all about going out and and doing it and selling it. And you know, you're right. I mean, you know, it's. Um, uh, sometimes it can be boiled down to nerves. Like, uh, yeah, yeah. sometimes it's just because they're legitimately anxious being in front of camera and stuff. Uh, like say Morrissey, for example, Morrissey, even to this day, still looks, still looks nervous and anxious in front of the camera. Um, and some people kind of, uh, if they're in the business long enough, they get more comfortable with it. Like, yeah. I feel like 
uh, Tom York. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think his earlier interviews, I don't think he was really into that kind of stuff. And now, no. now it just seems like he's, I mean, he's been a rock star long enough that he's just a little more comfortable with it. Yeah. Like you guys yeah. see him just more, being a little more relaxed and just sort of like, yeah, well, here's what it's about. Because I think also it helps that when you're in Radiohead, you don't need to, you know, it's not like a hard sell to get mm. people to buy the album. So, it's true. So, it's true. You know, it's like we release a new album, uh, pay what you want. You can give us money or whatever. <laughs> well, remember when I said that there were many a temper tantrum to be had? Mm-hmm. By October of that year, Richard Ashcroft left and the group dissolved. Goodbye. Oh, that's it for uh, Music yeah. Is Head podcast. <laughs> thanks for thanks for listening, everybody. However, in 1996, Ashcroft decided, you know what? We're gonna we're gonna take another stab at. It. We're gonna do some. So he reformed the Verve. Every, everybody came together. Ooh, except for McCabe. Yeah. Nick, Nick, oh. Nick McCabe on guitars was not interested. He's just like, nah, man, nah, man. He's we're like, done. Ah, uh, sorry, Richard. Uh, I, I you forgot one thing. You suck. <laughs> so what were they to do well there was a an old uh, schoolmate of theirs named simon tong he had actually uh taught both ashcroft and mccabe how to play guitar so in a way he was kind of a mentor for them and so ashcroft asked him yo dog come play guitars for the verve if he didn't word it exactly like that i don't know if life is worth living <laughs> 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 well basically however by early 1997 nick mccabe came back anyway oh. so now they were a quintet Ba-dum-bum. with two guitars oh, why not? september 29th 1997 urban hymns is released uh produced by the verve and chris potter chris potter who had done some production and engineering work for rolling stone u2 and keen also produced by youth who had worked with guns and roses U2, Kate Bush, and In Excess. We're knowing Keen was later. Keen, w- yes, you're right. Keen would be later. Because they, they, uh, they, their first album was 2004. Significant. Well, I would say significantly later, but it's only seven years. That's weird. Yeah, yeah. 97 well, it, and 2004. It would, it would feel significantly later yeah. where, where we were at in life. Hmm. But first things first, we need to take a step back, Doug. Okay. <sighs> okay. Here's what I've got. In the early 20th century, <laughs> there was a gospel song. This may be the last time. It was a, um, a popular gospel song. So much so that come 1954, it was recorded and released by the staple singers. This may be the last time. Sounds so lovely. It may be the last time. And then, my dear friend, <laughs> coming up to uh, 1965, the Rolling Stones released The Last Time. <laughs> well, this is a completely different song, right? No. No, it's a cover? No. It's uh, the chorus is uh, is lifted from this may be the last time ah yeah, you hear that there it 
Yes. Okay. Well, now, okay. Now, now, uh, this was the single right before I can't get no satisfaction. Right. So the the Rolling Stones were still waiting for their big North American hit. That's uh the best lyrics ever written is uh, I can't get no satisfaction. Right. So. Yes. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, sorry, I'm taking a jab at that uh, that that thing that uh, Holland's had posted with uh, uh, the Nickelback versus the Rolling Stones. Oh, oh. Was that, that was, oh no, that was uh, yeah, that was. Um, uh, I not, can't get no satisfaction. I, I yeah, I think so, something yeah, like that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> maybe I'm uh, I'm uh, beating a dead horse if I uh, bring that up. That's quite okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Anyways, um, those those songs uh, were produced by the manager for the Rolling Stones, Andrew Lug Oldham. Okay. Now the next year, 1966. Andrew Luke Oldham, he released uh, the Rolling Stone songbook and under the, the guise of the Andrew Oldham Orchestra. Now, the tricky thing is, is it wasn't really an orchestra because it, it kind of sounds like it, um, the way that is like the way that you hear some of it. But um, what it really was, was he would just get like session musicians to come in and then just record them, say it like different times and then compile them together. So he didn't have a, an orchestra in front of him. And then he'd be conducting and stuff like that. No, so and even some of the session musicians he brought included the Rolling Stones themselves. So he he got them in and he's just like, we're gonna record this orchestral version of the last time and we're gonna have a great time doing it. And that's that's what we're hearing right now. Okay, so <laughs> let's let's go a bit more uh, during this time uh, over the period of a few years here. Andrew Oldham he was like, you know, I knew this guy in school, uh, Alan Klein, and he's a super fantastic business guy. We are, uh, let's, let's bring him on board. Uh, let's bring him on board. We're going to keep managing the Rolling Stones. We're going to, uh, we're going to break through that North American market. And Alan Klein's like, yeah, I'm totally on board. Let's, uh, let's get this going. And then Alan Klein's like, Hey, he goes to the Rolling Stones. He's like, Hey, I feel like you guys are being screwed by the label and your manager, you know, his old buddy, <laughs> Andrew Oldham mm-hmm. he's like I feel like dude screwing you guys and you guys aren't really making the amount of money that you should and, and there was an argument to be made it was something stupid like they were making like 6% of uh, their sales that they, does sound actually like they're being screwed over pretty much yeah and <laughs> yeah. and there was there was some there was something like 25% of their earnings would go to Oldham some, something crazy like that so that's, uh, that's, that's yeah, pretty that's screwy. Pretty now there was, there was yeah. something about like, there was like upfront stuff that was paid to them to record and blah, blah, blah. But, uh, yeah. yeah. So Alan Klein's like, yeah, yeah. You know what? Let's, uh, let's, let's drop these guys and I'll be your manager. Okay. And they're like, yeah, that sounds pretty good. And so they do. And, and, uh, Klein successfully, uh, successfully acquires the rights to all that old Rolling Stone stuff that remember he had no part in. He didn't do a damn thing with him. Right. But he successfully acquired it, and he's like, he's like, yeah, now I'm managing Rolling Stones finances. Here's the deal, guys. Da 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 da. He starts seven percent. He, he starts managing their finances now. Uh, apparently, Mick Jagger uh, was a student of economics. Like before his thing oh. took off, he was a student of economics. So he had been kind of like, as he became more comfortable in the music industry and stuff, he started kind of keeping a little track of finances and stuff himself. And uh, by '71, he's saying to the rest of the band, he's like, uh, guys. I think Klein's screwing us now. (laughs) (laughs) And it's true. Klein was screwing with them. And Uh, and there was a lot, there was a lot of stuff over the, uh, over the, the next couple decades, uh, with lawsuits. The dude even did jail time for, for, uh, misappropriating funds and stuff. Jeez. Um, so basically mess. Trust no one. But 
he got to hang on to those rights of all that early stuff. Which, remember, again, mm. for the record, he didn't do a damn thing. He, he wasn't there. He wasn't their manager. He didn't produce it. He didn't mix it. He didn't release it. He had just successfully acquired it from Andrew Oldham. This is why Robert Fripp hates the music industry. Oh, it's freaking nuts. <laughs> have, you, have you heard his statements on it? Uh, I've heard a few, yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. Uh, he's, he's not a fan. <laughs> yeah, so now that that's, now that that's all done, we fast forward to 1997 and the Verve, uh, you know, they're, they say to Hut, their label, they're like, yo, here's the song Bittersweet Symphony. Originally, uh, Richard Ashcroft didn't want to release it. He's like, it doesn't really fit in with the rest of the album. I don't know. I think we should drop it. In fact, I'm kind of feeling like we should just do the album over again. I'm just not very happy with it. Mm. And the um, some of the rest of the band, but the, the, the manager and the producer as well is like, no, 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 man, man. Let's just let's not throw all this work away. Let's let's just get it going. And then things Hut's like, okay, well, we're gonna uh this this sample that you've used from the Andrew Oldham orchestra of the last time, we're gonna go, we're gonna acquire the rights to do that. That's 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 normal business, right? Yeah. yeah. Let's, we're gonna acquire the rights. So Hut went to yeah, played by the book. Yeah. Hut went to Andrew Oldham and they're like, yo, can we use the sample from from your you know Rolling Stone songbook? He's like, Yes. Great. No issues. Boom. Then the problem uh, solved. <laughs> problem solved. <laughs> then, no, then the album sailing from there. Then the album's released. Bittersweet Symphony takes off. It's huge. It's huge. It out the single outsells OK Computer and Oasis in the UK. You see, that's what I um what one thing that I think as big as Bittersweet Symphony was over here, mm. it's got nothing on mm. how big it was in the UK. Massive, massive. Yeah, like we are, I heard it all the time here. It mm. was everywhere. But it was not what it was in the UK. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the whole album in general, uh, like uh, like that album was uh, a sensation. Yeah. It was a landmark album over there, probably at the same degree as OK Computer. Mm-hmm. Um, again, and it, again, it did great here, mm-hmm. but not what it did in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. Now here's the problem. Mm-hmm. Alan Klein, it's like, yo. I own the rights to the last time. And Hut and the Verve are like, yeah, but we sampled from Andrew Oldham. He's like, yeah, but the song, the rights to the song belong to me. And they're like, yeah, but it was Andrew Oldham as producer and the Rolling Stones. Oh, shit. (laughs) And so Alan Klein's like, yeah, um, I'm a I'm a dick, so you guys. I see how popular this song is. So we're not you, bearing the lead here, guys. You you guys you guys are going to give me all the royalties and everything to do with this song, including licensing rights. Otherwise, I'm going to take you to court and I'm just I'm going to eviscerate you guys. So the Verve and Hodge were like, okay, okay, we're gonna we're not gonna we're not gonna fight you on this, Alan. Uh, all right, you can have you can have the royalties and you can have the licensing rights. Which included, you know, anytime like an advertiser was like, yo, can we use this song for for our uh, for our advertisement? Well, let's let's say it was for, you know, like, uh, oh, I think it was like Adidas or something like that. Uh, and Richard Ashcroft was like, oh, no, we don't want it on a shoe commercial. Alan Klein was like, you better believe I want it on a shoe commercial. <laughs> <laughs> you better believe it. I'll take Adidas <laughs> monies. Yeah. Yeah, well, basically, right. I'll take that money. And so as as such, Alan Klein. Alan Klein and uh, and due to the there was a settlement, right? Alan Klein and the Rolling Stones themselves. Rolling Stones got song cre- writing credit as well, and um, yeah, and Alan Klein was getting all the moolah. Uh, 
some of it was probably going towards Ro- the Rolling Stones as well, but it's kind of hard to say because it was a settlement, you know, what was divvied up and how much. But basically, you know, Klein had it. And there were some conflicting statements, too, because Keith Richards went on the record to say, hey, this is all just lawyer lawyer shenanigans. You know, if the Verve made a better song out of it, then they deserve to keep the money. But it's like, well, how much of a, how much I wonder how much of a stink the Rolling Stones themselves were making. But given how Klein had really taken them to task beforehand, I get the impression they just didn't want to deal with him that's that's my impression they just didn't want to deal with him let freaking alan klein do his thing sucks for the verve but you know but then the Ver- the rolling stones were nothing but nice in in one of their tours they had richard ashcroft be their opening act so oh. they were they were nothing but gracious but i do again kind of wonder how much of a stink they put up because they were still taking some of the money of bittersweet symphony which again was freaking everywhere i mean the question is that when you're when you're the rolling stones yeah and a check comes your way, do you always need to know where it comes from? Or are you just kind of <laughs> getting too used to it? You're like, oh, another royalty check. Oh, all right. All right. <laughs> right. And also, like, at that point, there's so many layers of bureaucracy. How many freaking agents and accountants are, you know, involved as well, right? Like, I just don't know. I yeah. mean, like, I, I, <laughs> I mean, sounds like a nice place to be. <laughs> um, but, you know, I mean, <laughs> although not, not to say that the Rolling Stones didn't ever suffer themselves mm. because as we heard um alan klein's a dick so <laughs> yeah now i think one of the reasons why they caved ultimately was because they were super huge and they're like it was probably like look you know if we can get attract at least attract people's attention get people to know us even if we're not making anything off the song maybe we can continue the momentum and you know yeah and we can make things off of other uh you know other songs I mean, and other albums I mean, surely the uh the album itself like the, there's a, a a whole bunch of other track lists that are completely yeah. original material they yeah. must have been making money off that oh uh, undoubtedly uh not as much money but yeah. uh but yeah um well let's get to that album urban hymns yeah. urban hymns their yeah. third album doug what did you think sucks yeah <laughs> <laughs> <Good> everybody <laughs> um Urban Hymn, yeah, you know, this is one that I've actually known for a long time where uh, the first two albums were, I just, I heard for the first time listening to, for preparing for this podcast, essentially. You know, he, Richard Ashcroft is right that uh, Bittersweet Symphony does not really set the stage for what the album is like. No. Which is, you know, it, it, it's it's kind of nice that it's the opening track because you kind of, okay, you got the hit, now it's out of the way, and now Sonnet comes up, and that's kind of where the album finds its own identity. And uh, and actually, when I look at the album, when I think of Urban Hymns, I think of Sonnet first, not Bittersweet Symphony, mm. because Bittersweet Symphony to me, again, was this omnipresent, this big smash single that I listened to for years and years before I picked the album up. And so it, it exists separately in my brain from the album. And again, because it's also very musically distinct from it. Although, you know, not to undermine how good that song is mm. because I think it's one of the best hits of the nineties. I think it's, Oh, has so. it is. I think it's, I think it is, it is one of those radio singles that deserves everything that it, that uh, it, it got. You included um, it in your, uh, when your Ali hasn't, um, uh, videos. Uh, yeah, Ali hasn't, um, the, I think it was the very first one that Ali hasn't heard nineties uh, music. I don't think it made its way into my top 100 favorite songs though. But you know that's a, that that list feels 
outdated anyway at this point because <laughs> I, 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 I knew it would be. I knew it would be. But yeah, uh, easily like if, if 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 someone asked me like what's the best single hit single of the nineties, you know, uh, if if I if I had a handful, I, I if I was like okay, I'm gonna throw in five. Here's five that have come to mind. Bittersweet Symphony is in there because mm-hmm. um, it's just it's just it's an incredible piece. Like they really did capitalize on that sample and like turn it into something with real body and volume and like and 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 i also i was thinking the the music video like just the perfect music video him like walking through the street bumping oh, yeah. and everybody you know that sort of that uh unfazed rock star thing you're talking about <laughs> well very much so yeah. yeah very much so um so and it also it's it's um not unlike um what was it called unfinished sympathy by massive attack thank you massive attack the capturing the street life um you know it 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 that one, um, unfinished sympathy, um, really kind of felt like uh, like uh, Harlem or you know the, the urban streets of uh, of uh, Black America, whereas that uh, bittersweet symphony felt very much like you know uh, you know the streets of, of London, you know, but you mm-hmm. know the kind of the the seedy streets and stuff like that. Uh, so, but there's also some some level of like majesty to it you know oh oh sure well because the music elevates it right Mm -hmm. it's it's a strange uh it's kind of like if you were listening to the song on headphones there's a a strange disjointedness between uh between the street and the and the music and Mm -hmm. uh and i think they really capitalize on that looks great and man can you can you ever stroll that song that's the song you stroll to yeah that's true yeah but yeah, so uh, can't say enough i mean we all know bittersweet symphony is amazing Mm -hmm. i don't need to tell you guys that um, but let's talk about the other songs a little bit. Um, yes, please. Because, uh, well, I already mentioned Sonnet, which I think is a very, I don't know, it's a very special song. It, it's very romantic. And, um, and uh, yeah, I, I just, it's, again, it's one that I really think about. Uh, and and I'd say, and it sets the stage for what is in, what's going on in the album, um, which is a little more like percussion and gentle guitar driven. I don't know what Richard Ashcroft was on about, but I wanted to throw this stuff out because I think it's like I think it's really good songwriting. It's not as uh, bombast- bombastic as their previous two albums. Not as like in your face and like like I'm gonna fill this stadium with this volume. It's a little more like uh, it's a little more down to earth, a little more tender and sweet. Mm-hmm. And I, I think as far as their albums go, like it's it's got the most heart. And I think that's where it really succeeds is that this the songs come sound like they're coming from a really genuine place. Uh, the drugs don't work. You can really hear mild, mild desperation if such a thing exists. <laughs> um, uh, this time, I think, is just a really sweet song and just says oh, yeah. uh, some really oh, cool. Yeah. That's a great song. Yeah, it's great. And uh, Neon Wilderness, if you again, if you want sort of a they, I like that they they still kind of throw in a bit of a trippy interlude, mm-hmm. just like they did in the last album. But oh they, yeah, this one's again downplayed, a little more tempered than the last one. And so it doesn't, you don't hear it and instantly think like, oh, this is a, a crazy psychedelic song. It's it's more downplayed. But then if you think about it, like, oh, actually, you know what? It still has those psychedelic elements that were in the previous albums. So, yeah. And then and then if you really want proper psychedelic rock, that that, that final track, um, hmm. uh, Come On, uh, is is like a full, full, that's where they really kick it into high gear. And like it becomes, it does become that really big like sound that they had on Northern, uh, Northern Soul. So all in all, yeah, I, I think I think Urban Hymns is a great album. I think it's uh, it is um, very solid, very consistent. Uh, no bad tracks. Um, 
nothing that quite really reaches what Bittersweet Symphony was, but um, in its own right is is kind of brilliant in different ways. So mm-hmm. a, lot of, a lot of good stuff on there. Yeah, I'd agree. At first I was put off by how long it was. I was like, Ooh, 75 yeah. minutes is one of those uh, jam-packed CDs, right? Uh, but it never felt it. Also, um, part of it is uh, there's a hidden track kind of thing. It's true. There. So there's a little bit of dead air. Um, yeah. So, um, But I mean, my my... It, it never, it never felt, uh, it never felt prolonged. It never felt like it dragged. Um, my only strong critique was that at times there were some strong Oasis vibes in there. I realized that this is the time, right? It was Britpop. Oasis was, I mean, Jesus, they were huge in the UK. Oasis. They were huge. As big as Oasis may have been here. <laughs> well, for like one album, basically, yeah, for Oasis. Yeah, but, but, uh, but in the UK, I mean, uh, between them and Blur and, uh, and briefly, uh, The Verve, um freaking huge um but that's my only critique uh especially that that last stretch not unlike the previous album was really is really really good is astoundingly good um the album on the whole i really like but that last half oh way to stick the landing like uh they start super super well uh go down just a bit but only because of how good you know the opening is but then that last little bit, yeah, they just they just mosey on in and they they really give it. And it's uh yeah, fantastic album, uh, through and through. Um it's hard not to echo what you said, but I mean, uh Lucky Man and This Time, both phenomenal songs. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> the production is just so much better too. And it doesn't sound overproduced, it doesn't sound difficult, you no, know. Like it's not, you, you you hear the instruments really yeah. well, which again like uh, no, no, no discredit to um, a storm in heaven. Yeah, but you don't really hear the instruments. You hear what I don't know. It's like a wall of noise. But again, we liked it, but yeah, here like it, it's yeah. uh, you can you can things are crisp and clear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, though, um, it was a really taxing, really taxing time, really taxing ordeal. Plus, these are guys who. You know, had had I won't say that they were like Oasis and the Gallagher's and, and punching each other on stage. Um, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully not. Yeah, there's a there's a, there's there's a degree of tension in a band that is that is to be expected. But Ashcroft, and, uh, Richard Ashcroft, left to to go do his own thing to start his solo career, and uh, McCabe also started uh, doing things. Apparently, he he did some mixing for the music. Uh, mm. who were only I think what was it two thousand for the their self titled album two thousand two two thousand two. Yeah. Um, so, well, but, which, yeah, well, not too much. Too, not, not too, too much long. longer, yeah. Uh, well, by 2004, uh, Hut collapsed in on itself. The label collapsed in on itself. 20% of the artists on Hut uh, were just strep dropped, and the rest were moved over to EMI. Mm. So EMI gobbled them up now because EMI gobbled them up, and they said, well, we, uh, we have the Verve. Uh, what are we going to do with these guys? They're not really doing anything right now. I know what we're going to do. We're going to release a compilation album. <laughs> this is music, the singles, 92 to 98. Right. So this yeah. not really a lot in the way of band involvement, I'm guessing. No, there were, no, not really. Uh, there were a couple uh, singles that were, or that were, or sorry, that were non-released. Okay. Um, so they, they, they unearthed some. Yeah, some, they got a couple in there. It's it's pretty long. It's It touches base with a lot of the stuff that you would, uh, I mean, even some stuff from, or yeah, two stuff from the Verve EP. So, I mean, you know, uh, if you were, if you were interested in the Verve, uh, in 2004 and as a historical sort of thing, this would be kind of a good place to start, I guess. But, uh, 
truthfully, I would not recommend it just based on the way that the, especially that first album, Storm in Heaven, I feel like that album is, and I've said this already before, that's a, a project album. That's a sit down, listen to it, start to finish album. I really feel kind of chopping it up and throwing it in a, a compilation album. I wouldn't recommend. That's not my jam, but I immediately understand <laughs> why EMI did it. They want to make they want to make some money off their investment and uh, right, yeah, yeah, and to hey, and if they had a couple previously unreleased tracks, and uh, yeah, go for it. And then the, they they looked at their paperwork and they're like, wait a minute, we're not making any money off of Bittersweet Symphony. <laughs> but some of the other stuff, sure. I mean, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, there was there was some charting that did happen. Not fantastic, but not bad. You know, uh, UK strangely charted at number fifteen because the because the UK is all about the verve. Yeah, yeah. All right, we are before we talk about uh, how things resolved. Let's get into. Oh, and I'm sure EMI was thrilled about this. Mm -hmm. The verve reformed. They came back together. Simon Tong did not rejoin them though. Mm -hmm. So it was the original lineup, the original uh, the original fellas, and they released the album fourth. Fourth, it was produced again by Chris Potter. You first tell me what you think about Fourth. Fourth feels really big. Mm. It feels really, really big. Uh, again, kind of actually a step more toward back toward Northern Soul, I feel, than where Urban Hymns left off. And in that it, it feels very bombastic, very like um, like I could fill a stadium with this sound. Mm. And sometimes that works really well. Actually, I think it starts off really solid, Sit and Wonder. And Love is Noise. Love is Noise especially, I think, is actually one of the highlights of the album. And I think that's the one I think of when I think of this album. Of this album. But, uh, you know, I, I don't think the songwriting is quite as tight as it was in uh, Urban Hymns. Uh, I, I, I I like it, though. Like, generally speaking, I, I don't think there's, like, any terrible tracks or anything like that. But I will say, um, an, a, a similar observation to what you had with some, pre- some previous albums, I think uh, it loses a bit of momentum in the middle and then I think it ends pretty solid. Uh, I think Noise Epic is really great. Oh, oh, that's a phenomenal track. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and Valium Skies is a great um, contrasting track because then it chills right down and becomes very a little more relaxing and atmospheric. And uh, and then yeah, then I feel just I feel like it still it ends pretty strong. But yeah, there's a little bit in the middle where like unfortunately like if you just said judas or numbness how does that sound i i I can't i can't really tell you off the top of my head i know that i've heard it and i know that i didn't hate it um in fact i probably liked it i I honestly like i i I like i like everything i've heard but uh to what degree i i just i just feel like it's yeah uh i i just feel like those you know those moments aren't really the strongest of the album and yeah i you know i i think it's a fine return i think it's it's pretty cool hearing them again uh i think it could be viewed as very disappointing for people because i think the majority of fans probably just know them from urban hymns Mm. and it isn't really it doesn't really feel like a successor to that um and i don't and yeah, but at the same time, like it, it's. I mean, it's, it was like what eleven years after. Yeah, eleven years after. So yeah. like, you also can't expect a band to be in the same place where they were. Well, sure. Yeah, I, I think there's some really, really cool highlights in that album, but I don't think it's it's a. Uh, I don't think it's as solid as uh, a Supersonic Bittersweet Symphony. Well, definitely not as Bittersweet Symphony, but uh, or as Urban Hymns uh, either. So. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to slightly disagree in mm-hmm. that I think this album is super fantastic. Super okay. fantastic. I, I was tempted to give it a 100%, a 10 out of 10, really? uh, because of how much I enjoyed this album. 
But um, if I'm going to give a little critique, little critique, mm-hmm. way too many of the songs have a lawn buildup. Like they all they start <laughs> okay. completely quiet, then uh, you know maybe something a little bit of a boom, 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 and you know the volume comes up, and then boom into the song. You know, every, every once in a while, it's totally fine. I'm I'm totally down with that, especially as an opening track. But guys, when it's like <laughs> it's like every you know if you're scrolling through the songs, then it's just like the song starts and there's no sound, and then and that's like more than half the tracks. It's like you guys are really going on a going on a theme very minor criticism though because i find that on the whole i actually really like the production work i really like the songwriting i think this this album's really really good especially if it is going to be the last album of their career it is yeah actually it is really well produced yeah yeah it, it, it sounds good mm-hmm. uh yeah yeah no i think uh i mean like you you kind of nailed it i will say though i have noticed this pattern that i tend to like the second half of verve albums more than the first half um, Which is very atypical yeah. from a lot of bands. You know, some bands they fr- really front load their albums. They yeah. didn't. didn't they didn't really know. You know, they don't know where, know where to take it after that. I, I do kind yeah. of feel like like um, uh, you hit the nail on the head with the last one, where they're just like, "Look, Bear Sweet Symphony. That's the big single. Let's get it out of the way and done with first. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Whereas now the other albums had a single like that because how could you? Um, but yeah, they tend to backload their albums. And uh, I mean, my God, though, I mean. Noise Epic, Icy Houses, Appalachian Springs. These are all fantastic bloody songs. These are fantastic songs. I really, I really, really enjoyed this album uh, quite a bit. And, and on the whole, it looks like the critics did as well, although um, Pitchfork and didn't seem particularly enthused about it. But uh, I mean, it was a it was a welcome it was a welcome um it was a welcome listen for me. I thought it was. I thought it was super good. I should also mention "Love Is Noise." Um, you had recommend that for uh, one of my playlists on Pro Rock Alley. Uh, I think the shoes. It, it might have been the shoegaze. Shoegaze yeah. one. Actually, to be honest, in the context of the album, I think it sounds a lot better too. It's a great song. It's a great song, but in the album, mm, fantastic. It's um, a good one. It's a it's, real it's good a, one. It's a good one. It's a good one. Uh, so I would recommend it, folks. If you if you see the Verve's album fourth, I give it a hearty, 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 hearty recommendation. Uh, yeah, I, um, I mean, ultimately, uh, there's no, there's no bad release from them. Really. That's just it, is that I'm yeah. having trouble thinking of if they have had any stinkers for songs. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. if any of their songs were just like, like, like yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, nothing, nothing comes to mind no. uh, when it comes to just, I mean, we haven't checked out the B-sides or the, those, <sighs> or those like unreleased signals or whatever. Yeah, but <laughs> I don't, I don't, but, the thing is, I'm so hesitant to hold... Like B sides and unreleased songs, yeah, yeah, because <laughs> or or like un- or not or later released because of the compilation. I mean, you know? yeah, yeah, that was the end. I trying to make some that's money. The thing is that yeah. uh, you know it, it is hard to hold you, you, to hold the band to that standard when they like they're like, well, it was unreleased for a reason. Well, that's just it. You know, sometimes <laughs> you know? it's like the band's like, well, we, we made this a B side because we didn't think it was that good. Or yeah. I mean, because again, I haven't listened to it. Maybe that's maybe the, good too. Yeah, maybe this stuff's awesome. So yeah. you know, uh, you know, yeah, I guess we'll have to do a little digger, dig a little deeper and find out. Um, but yeah, honestly, uh, I, yeah, the verb is uh, they impress. They impress pretty good. Uh, and and it's kind of weird that it took me, you know, took us this long to to kind of buckle down and listen to them. I mean, I, I listened to fourth quite a while ago. Yeah. Uh, and again, uh, urban hymns, but like, you know, get, to get, I knew they had earlier albums. I was just like, why didn't I listen to them? I don't know. I guess, cause I guess I listened to a lot of stuff all the time. Yeah, no, that's, that's fair. I mean, it, it's not like, oh, I just don't want to listen to the verve. Is that like, um, I know 
I know you and I both have been listening to a lot of music. We saw Yell Ostrich in concert recently, and I'd been and the opening act, Katie von Schlieker. Um, I've been listening to some of her stuff. Uh, I've been researching for um, anthems from the Alley Volume Three, so I've been I've been going through a lot of bands and mm-hmm. stuff. So I, I mean, the fact of the matter is, is that like like I, I'm not going to hold it against you or I that we haven't gone around to hearing xyz it's just there's uh, and these these guys probably would agree as well there's a lot out there um stuff and that's the nice part about the podcast is Mm. sometimes it puts us in a position where we just we just got to do the work and you know what and if we don't dig it there's nothing saying we have to listen to it again that's true yeah but in this case in this case i would love to pick up some more albums by these guys i got urban hymns from like again from a bargain bin i do i check out bargain bins because you know sometimes (laughs) you'll find and urban hymns fuck i'll pick up urban Mm -hmm. hymns for two dollars give me a break of course i will it's almost kind of sad that it came to that you know like yeah. now like now that these some of these great albums are are just like they just because people don't want to have the cds around yeah i guess you know but then you know they at least they find homes the real uh the, the one that i see the most man man gotta name it savage garden savage garden <laughs> self-titled <laughs> album that album is really good and i see it all the time yeah yeah it, it's an album that definitely is way better than it has any right to be yeah yep. uh yeah <laughs> <laughs> I just start thinking Tears of Pearls. Okay. All right, Doug. Do you want to hear the resolution? I know you know it, but you want to hear it anyways? Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, we got to. We got to. We got to give the resolution. We don't want to leave the audience in suspense. Of course not. Well, May 2019. Can't believe it took that long. <laughs> there was a an award show, the British Academy of Songwriters, Composers, and Authors. And Richard Ashcroft received the Ivor Novello Award for Outstanding Contribution to British Music. Good Lord, people, the Brits gave him an award for it. Uh, outstanding contribution. And you know what? After 20-odd years, all right. All right, I'd say he's earned it. I'd I mean, he uh, he has a solo career, too, right? Oh, yeah, so. absolutely. But uh, this is such a huge cultural impact uh, in the UK, the verse career, for, for like four albums. And then for his, his solo work, too. I mean, like, um, there's bands who put out way more material and don't come close to this kind of cultural impact. Yeah, it's huge. But anyways, Richard Ashcroft um, was thrilled to announce that the dispute was over and that royalties and songwriting credits mm-hmm. for Bear Sweet Symphony has have gone back to Richard Ashcroft. And even now, if you look on any listing for Bear Sweet Symphony, it's just his name. Just mm. his name is songwriter. So do you know what happened, Doug? <laughs> Alan Klein died. Oh, is that what happened? <laughs> <laughs> he, oh he that's died. how it happened he died and his son jody klein took over for what's the name of it? abkco the the label uh the the business jody klein took over so they uh ashcroft's managers approached jody klein and they approached uh what's his name joyce smith the manager of the rolling stones uh who got mick jagger and keith richards to sit down as well i like to imagine that they were all at a table together but you mm-hmm. just know that's not actually how it happened through a bunch of negotiations and back and forth um it was just like yeah yeah sure you know what Here, you have have your son back have your have your son back have the whole thing back i don't think this would have happened if alan klein was still alive no now the question is is there any like is it only any money it makes from this point forward and a bonus there was a bonus oh, money okay. to undisclosed as far as I know, but a little bonus money is just like, sorry for your troubles. <laughs> sort of thing. Sorry about the fortune you missed out on. <laughs> You're no kidding. But by the same token, um, it, it also, again, does lend, lend credence to the fact that, you know, uh, the Rolling Stones probably just didn't want to get any more involved with uh, Mr. Klein 
and his legal legal dealings that they were just like you can have it and have some extra money too and do you want to tour with us you know you can tour <laughs> with us. you know what i mean um ashcroft said <laughs> can, I, that he, can i pet your dog basically uh, ashcroft you know had said that you know he never held any ill will towards the rolling stones and that they were always rock and roll gods to him and sometimes it can be so easy to to you start playing the blame game we all know who the who's really at fault <sighs> <sighs> well it's complicated uh but but let's let's be honest do you think the staple singers made any money off of this Oh, you mean the uh, the original? Uh, <laughs> no, probably not. No, no, none at all. This is I, this is ultimately the I thing that's that's, that's 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 killing. Oh no! I mean, the answer is no. The Staple Singers never made any money off of the Rolling Stones sampling from. Them. Oh really? Okay. Yeah, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Never. Uh, what well, it was not? It was at the time though. I mean, the sixties. It was true. not yeah, typical. It was, it was kind of the Wild West. But but the, the the fact of the matter is that this has been one of the most contentious sampling cases of all times and now granted they were doing an old gospel song it's not like they necessarily wrote it but it was like their composition and their recording of it they were the first ones to record it left out completely the conversation and i'm bringing them into the conversation right now no they did not write the last time no they didn't have anything to do with uh to do with the orchestral recording but the fact of the matter is the as far as record the recording industry goes the staple singers they're the beginning of it and you know to this day left almost completely out of the conversation but that's that's the breaks yeah but we put them into the conversation hey look we're doing a service uh, hats off to you guys staple singers i'm not wearing a hat <laughs> all right but uh, if, I, if i was i'd take it off should we do track recommendations yeah i forgot to write mine down that's fine but I can I can poop out a few. <laughs> all right, go for it. You know, we all want to recommend Bittersweet Symphony, but you've heard it. So let's recommend some other tracks. Yeah, I think that's fair. I yeah, think that's fair. You know? Yeah. So like why why like what like when I'm going like you should listen to Bittersweet Symphony I'm like yeah, I did. Yeah. Yesterday. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so Well, uh, Alan Klein made sure it was in plenty of commercials and uh, <laughs> so Yeah. Well, as from Urban Hymns. Oh, there's so many good ones, though. Um, let's go with uh, this time. Sorry, I know you really like that one, but uh, it's good. It's um, good. But uh, do your thing. Do your uh, yeah, thing. you know, uh, there's just something. There's something about the way the guitar is played. Is the there's kind of a looping effect with his vocals and 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 it just comes from such a kind of a sweet, sincere place. And and I just I I just really every time I hear the song, I'm I'm delighted. And uh, and it's just it's just a real good piece of what. Um, of just what the quality of Urban Hymns is like, and and uh, and it's a real highlight on the album for me. So, be sure to check that one out. Off of a Northern Soul, I'm gonna go with the uh, Brainstorm Interlude, even though it's not really a good representation of what that album is like. Uh, it's uh, it's uh, still it's, you know it's pretty it's pretty darn good though. And, it almost seems like a throwback to the previous album. Right? Yeah, yeah, but uh, but I just I just like it. I just, it just you know it sounds like they're just having a fun having fun jamming around, being a band and making making noise, and uh, and it sounds good. And it sounds like um, yeah, it sounds it sounds like fun. Sounds, I wish I was there to be honest. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go with in, uh, Valium Skies off of Fourth because I think that song is. Pretty darn good. Uh, a little more chill than uh, some of the other stuff on the album, so don't uh, don't think of it as the the you know, perfect representation of Fourth as as a whole. But it is really it's just really great, and it's really um, 
Yeah, hashtag chill vibes. Hmm? Hashtag chill vibes. Um, I like it. Okay. Nice. Steve, go for it. While I would definitely recommend listening to A Storm in Heaven in its completion, at least once, I would say check out See You in the Next One. That's the uh, the closing track of that album. Mm. It is a phenomenal closing track. Again, I've, I think I've mentioned a couple times now that they, they stick their landings. And this is... This is an excellent example of that sort of space rock, psychedelic kind of vibe, but uh, concluding concluding the album. Its its place is right there at the end of the album and is super good. I think I will then go jump to Northern Soul. Uh, Northern Soul, uh, the song History, I think that's almost kind of like the, almost the prototype for Bittersweet Symphony. That was that was kind of, it was a little more experimental than a lot of the other stuff off of that album. Um, it's, it's, although still kind of having a bit of those, you know, psychedelic uh, roots to it, there was a little bit more of an alternative vibe to it as well. It sounded like that they were, they were leaning towards experimentation. I, I was really kind of into that one. Okay, uh, I'm also gonna do Columbo off of fourth i think honestly this album on the whole is uh is nick mccabe's album and that is kind of like he's just he's such a strong strong presence on the album and the melodies that he plays he does so 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 distinctly and so in such a a comfortable way like he's he he owns a lot of this album and i think colombo um it's got a lot of musical ideas to it and he really kind of leads a lot of it as well. Super, super good song off of... Uh, I think it's like... I love I love all their albums. I'm surprised I you didn't go with the Noise Epic. I thought you were going to go down that uh, one. I so, was, but, but I didn't. I we mean, can do a joint good. recommendation for Noise Epic. No, this is Noise Epic. Noise it's Epic's good. really it's good. It's pretty epic. It's, it's like halfway through the album. Um, uh, a little more toward the end, but uh, it's, yeah. it's, I feel like it's the it's like the beginning of the third act. You know? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's fair. Um, that's the thing, though, is that, like, again, the, the last half of fourth is just is just phenomenal. And uh, I, I actually, I would agree that Noise Epic kind of kicks... No, no, no. I See Houses kind of kicks off. Well, see, I See Houses is kind of right in the middle. <sighs> yeah, it is. It, well, it kind of kicks... Like, there's... It's it's all good. Whatever. <laughs> just uh, go oh, listen done. to the verb. Folks. Just, 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 just listen to the. I was I was I have to thank you. I was actually uh, I was actually taken aback by how much I wound up enjoying enjoying listening to the verb. Yeah, I mean I I'd I'd heard Urban Hymns before ages ago, uh, but coming back to it and listening to the whole discography, I was I was genuinely surprised at how much I enjoyed it. Um, so, am I going to be able to find any of the early stuff in like? You know, at like Sunrise Records, I don't know, I don't but know maybe you'll come across Force. Maybe. Although, jeez, I think that's 15 years old now. Now the question is, will there ever be a fifth? Probably not. Let's be honest. I, Probably not. I don't. I, don't I think mean, the, these days, I say never say never. Oh yeah, no, don't get me wrong. Yeah. I'm not saying never, but I, I'm. Saying but have I, I ever? I, but also, I I will put a little asterisk. Says I have heard. Nothing at all that would ever no. just make me think that there's going to be a fifth album. <laughs> the, the, I just, I just, this is just me going like, could they do it? Yeah, they could do it. Will they do it? Eh, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, the fact of the matter is, is that like, until 2019, it was just status quo. The Verve was, you know, they they were they had that fantastic single that they were screwed out of, and 
what what else would you expect? That I mean, I remember feeling shocked when I heard that they had got the rights back. Like, no way I would have I would have uh, thought that they'd get the rights back. I thought it was done. I thought it was. Yeah. And to be fair, I, I guess I kind of feel like um, like fourth was that bonus album. It's sort of like it's like oh oh, oh they're not done. Okay, great, we got one more. Woo! Yeah. Kind of like yeah. um, that uh, last one from Pink Floyd. It's like it's like oh, oh the I, endless river. Yeah. yeah. I'm like oh, I thought we were done. Oh no, we got more. Woo! <laughs> yeah. Basically. And yeah. and then it's like okay, well I don't I don't expect any more than that. No. So next time, Mr. Doug. This yeah, one I've been sitting yeah. on for quite a while. Okay. Uh, some interesting story, um, which I'll get into, I guess, next time as to how I heard of these guys. They're called A Winged Victory for the Sullen. Very kind of a strange oh, wow. name. But they are uh, a contemporary orchestral electronica ambient project. And uh, I'm quite taken with them. I, I really, really enjoy them. I'm so curious to hear what you think. Sounds boring. Uh, <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I think that there is a hell of a task these days to make engaging orchestral work, especially outside of soundtracks. But I think sometimes, you know, some soundtracks sell super well. And so there is an audience for for that kind of orchestral work. Um, again, contemporary cont- uh, orchestral work. And I think that, uh, that these two blokes, if I recall, there's two of them, managed to make some absolutely amazing music. So if you know of a winged victory for the sullen please drop us a line and let us know what you think tell you what what did you think of the verve what do you think of underworld i know there's a lot of you out there who have very fond memories of bittersweet symphony tell me tell me about some of those memories tell me about uh where you were the first time you heard it or maybe you're at a dance maybe you're watching tv like let me know i'm i'm so curious i i wish i had a memory of the first time i heard the song but i don't it was just everywhere yeah yeah but apart from that where are you going to find us? There's a couple of places. You're going to find us on Facebook, Music A to Z Podcast. You're going to find us on Twitter, at Music A Z Podcast. And uh, the, the website, Music A to Z Podcast.com. There you can check out our show notes because we're going to have, we're going to have some notes and some links and mm-hmm. lots of other stuff for you to mm-hmm. for you to check on out. Plus, I also do a show on in Vancouver's co-op radio called Prague Rock Alley. Just did a Halloween episode. And I think I was going to do one of your... Play your most recent playlist. I think that was going to be the next episode. Fusion Jazz playlist. That's right. That's right. Looking forward. I love I love Fusion Jazz. And uh, if you're like, well, Steve, I don't live in Vancouver. How on earth am I going to listen to that? Guys, it's the internet age. Coopradio.org. Music Check is it out. everywhere. Yeah, yeah, you'll find you'll find me. I'm also on Mixcloud. Mixcloud, you can listen to me there. Doug, what in God's name are you doing? I uh, I buried myself in in mu- video editing for the month of October and. Uh, you can now watch the fruits of my work on YouTube. (laughs) 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 Moving underscore pictures, pictures with a K on YouTube. And, uh, and you can see some of my latest Halloween specials, but by the time that this posted it, maybe you maybe maybe after Halloween and you're like, I don't want to watch any Halloween specials. Well, good news. I'm going to be posting more stuff all the time anyway. So just subscribe because that's what all the cool kids are doing. All right. Uh, well, anything else, Captain? No, I, uh, I feel like we had, we had a grand old time. Yeah, I'll agree with that. Well, I'm going to close this out by saying Music A to Z podcast is hosted by Stephen and Doug Ferguson and is produced by me, Stephen Ferguson. You should check out our other work at stephengcferguson.ca and moving underscore pictures with a K on YouTube. Yeah.